open up in prayer. Father God, we just uh, come before you, Father, with hearts that just are rejoicing in the day. Uh, Father, it's a day of worship, and it's a day of uh, just giving all praise to you. Father, I thank you for the greatness of your salvation. And Father, I pray today that your Spirit will just uh, allow us to meditate, that will bring into greater focus even some remembrance of some key things from uh, this great letter of 1 Peter. Father, it is so foundational for our lives, and I pray that even today we can even glean uh, more from chapter 1 that have some key foundational principles that will just be etched in our hearts and our minds as we even um, uh, desire to grow closer to you. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, um, for just the, the finished work that he's done for us on the cross, the, the fullness of redemption that we have through him, and even that is being a starting point for our contemplation today. So, Lord, I just thank you for the great, great privilege that we have to just be in the fellowship of your word today. I pray your spirit will lead as we share in it and for discussion, and we give all thanks and praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Our objective over the next couple of weeks, actually, will be to focus on relationships, and the relationships specifically as it relates to God's word, the truth of his word, and the love for one another. Because as the last two verses, or last three verses of chapter 1, was this call to love one another. And today, I want to start there, um, a little later, not quite right now, but we'll get there, and then to see the significance of the relationship that Peter emphasizes between that loving of one another and the Word of God. And so, it is the Word of God which the Spirit of God employs to bring about a new birth. It is also the milk of the Word which produces the spiritual growth itself. And that is the significance of chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And so, it's just a very interesting transition. Um, and then, so, as over the next couple of weeks, as we begin this, um, welcome. Where are we? Um, we have, we're actually still on this place of remembering our anchor, which is this remembrance. And that's going to be a key word that I'd like to start with today is this word remembering of the greatness of our salvation. And so, as we look at our overall study of First Peter, again, just going back through it is uh, we'll begin this transition of some key principles in chapter 1 into some of the practical application of those principles themselves. And so, um, as we've focused even in breaking down these verses in chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, this, this praise of God for salvation, the prophecy of salvation in verses 10 to 12. I'm going to come back to that briefly today, as I believe Peter points back to that in one of, the, one of the things that he ends with chapter 1 on. The lifestyle salvation in verses 13 to 21, the hope and the holiness. And I heard some of those words come out as far as the significant truths that were uh, key for you as far as greatness of, cel- of celebration in chapter 1. And then, of course, the life of reverence before God in these closing verses that is giving honor to God. This letter written to um, these scattered, to these both Jew and Gentile believers in this first letter, is that this, the challenge that these individuals, as a takeaway for me, was that they 
were having a difficult time through their circumstances to be able, and, and frankly suffering, to be able to see the greatness of salvation, that great uh, promise and truth. And so, it, just kind of looking at it as far as what was he trying to do in, this, in chapter 1, is I believe this is the, the key emphasis. And so if there are some key things that we're going to try to pull out of this is that, is that you and I, even from an application standpoint, is that we are seeing life, circumstances, suffering through the lens of salvation and that, and that great truth. And that needing to be this, this foundation of, of truth that even from the standpoint that through our circumstances and suffering, we will see is that that really, in a way, proves the faith through that trial. And so, what's my picture of chapter 1? In chapter 1, as I thought through this, is that there are two places that I, I find, and I was, you know me, I'm a drawer, I'm a picture and a plan kind of a guy. And so, the first place is this therefore in verse 13. And so, whenever I just went through and I found the two therefores, the first, therefore, is in verse 13, and then, of course, the second, therefore, is at the beginning of chapter 2 in verse 1. And so, with that, is that this is where we will begin um, our resuming our study with this next, therefore. But, therefore, as we look back, is that within this division here of therefore, is that I would, we would conclude that, for the most part, is that we see very key doctrinal, key truths that are focused, salvation, inheritance, trials. I mean, this little list can go on in there, and even some of the things that you were just talking about. To the place where we see application, and for example, right out of the blocks in verse 13, is this call to be holy. We see um, hope. We see this call to be honored, to give reverence. Redemption is all this. So, truths and application is this picture that we have. And so, even for where you look at the significant... Uh, things that you celebrate from chapter one is that you can look here and say, "Is that where, where did you where did you navigate to immediately?" Um, for example, like in, in question one, how many sort of focused on the great truths on the first twelve verses? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Um, what about application? Anybody there? It may be something in your life, for example, and and I I was saying as I want to share this is that. When I stopped, we stopped teaching. Um, when I stopped teaching, my, after my last lesson <laughs> that I taught in June, I got sick. <laughs> I got sick, and I was sick for literally a month and a half. I, no, no, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, yeah, right. It's been a significant spiritual growth period for me, and it's isn't it interesting that I, I literally was was sick and. I was just so many things were happening. I could not do things. I, I was, and I'm feeling much, much better, by the way. But literally, to a point of debilitating me, is that I couldn't physically do some things. Just it's an autoimmune thing. Just kind of just struck me. So it was interesting because I was able to find going back to these both the truths themselves with suffering to be able to relate <laughs> in a way. But also, to bring that application place is to have some key remembrances for me that allowed me to see this faith proven through the trial. And so, where do we begin? 
So let's open up your Bibles to First Peter. And I'm going to be, I've got, my, I've got two Bibles, no waiting here, so, um, <laughs> up here. And the, I, I wanted to, because there is some of the NASB, and I have a, King, a New King James, but some of the words that we want to work, look at today. So open up your, your Bibles to First Peter, where we pick up. And I, where I'd like us to begin with is beginning with verse 13. Because in the, first, in the 13th verse of First Peter, Peter writes, and I'm going to be reading out of the NASB, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for actions. Now, in the New King James, or if you have an authorized version, it might say, gird up your loins, right? Or to pull all the loose ends of your life together. Now, why do we want to start there? I want to start there because, in review, it's where the therefore is, isn't it? Okay? And so, with this therefore, is that our hope today is, is that we can grab hold of four key things to remember. That based on what we're going to share in these four, you're going to be able to say, well, we just talked about that at our table. We, we, you know, yeah, this is a key thing. So with that, first of all, let's, by which is a quick way of review, this, this term of this therefore, preparing your minds for action, and I, I like the NASB version for the purpose of what I'm going to share in my conclusions. The girding up your loins is certainly important, but how do you, do you understand what that is? So it is a military term, right? We talked about that and when we reviewed that session. So it's a, it's a military term. What is the significance of that for a soldier? Just please, feedback. What, what does it represent? Okay? And so literally within the picture that we have there, the girding up the loins themselves, it was this tucking in, right? In that obviously within that time, that culture, there was a longer robe type of outfit, and so therefore it was the pulling up. We, we put on our Under Armour, <laughs> you know, um, whatever it is might be that, get, that allows us to get underneath to get this stuff set. And so it is this term that is used for the purpose of preparing, um, what the, when the soldier is preparing for battle, he's making sure that everything is pulled up, his tunic is in, he's tied in tightly, some of the things that, that Bruce had shared. In other words, is not allowing, being prepared, but not allowing the enemy to have, certainly, any opportunity. And so, this preparing your minds for action, it is, what are those things that need to be pulled in for us, in chapter 1, the loose ends? Does that make sense? So what are the, the key things in chapter 1 that we want to make sure, that I believe that this is what Peter is saying. As he's talking to people, these believers, they are struggling. <laughs> they're struggling in perspective. And so therefore, there's a lot of loose ends that they're saying, be ready. Because if they're ready, they're prepared, their minds are equipped for action, what follows in chapter 2 makes a whole lot more sense. In fact, it is action itself. So it's preparing. It says he says to keep sober, and essentially this is this word of keeping sober is keeping our priorities right, thinking serious, thinking accurately, thinking sober-minded. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what exactly? is foundational to that. Well, what we want to do is, first of all, is to go through some of the key 
points in chapter 1, and we're going to jump around a little bit. We're not going to go sequentially necessarily. I'm going to start, first of all, what follows this. So I need to think accurately. I need to think seriously. I need to think about my priorities. And the first one is to remember that I am no longer a slave. I am no longer a slave to sin. In fact, I have been bought with a price. Carthur says it best. He says, he says, you are not your own. <laughs> you are not your own. What does that mean to you? That you have been bought with a price. Anybody? Well, it means somebody paid a substantial... When we, we, you recognize the price that was paid, but I also want you to recognize that you are not your own. Okay? And so therefore, who are we a slave to? Yeah, to Christ. That's going to be significant because when you look to see what follows in that, and, and just go with me in here, because what it's saying is here, at, what is the, in the beginning of verse 14, it says, as obedient children. So this is this, this follow-up to that is it in itself is that we're not our own. We've been bought with this price. And just by way of another verse, it is the testimony of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. We, we have been freed from the... the the slavery of sin through Christ. The focus that we're going to see Peter is getting at is that there is a, an obedience factor with that that's going to be key and that how do we conduct ourselves. But don't you think God wants right, but that's what, Yeah, but that's why this is a reminder. It's one key I'm reminder. Sorry, I, just, I don't it's, like the picture of us being okay. Christianity is God and leave their free will. I'm thing with it because of what he did. The, the picture that I'm trying to draw, Bruce, is why I would say that, is because we are not our own. And, I, I agree and so therefore, that. that is why that I am this... The fact is, is that someone owns me, and that is God, Christ. In that we're not our own, it affects everything of your decisions. So in other words, every decision I would make is in this focus of giving glory to the Lord in view of this praise. It's His worship is in view. His reputation is in view. And it's, it's what we reflect on. We bring honor to Him. And so, in that, it's because He's the one who purchased us. He owns you. And so that is a key reminder for us as we look at First Peter, again, because of the fact is, is that there is this response that goes with that. Now, the second thing that we have in remembrance is going to, we're, going to, we're going to go back to the beginning of First Peter. And that is, is to remember the covenant of salvation. Now, this is, I'd like to just go ahead and read this because I just want to, I, what I want to focus on is the, the significance of this sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, going back to chapter 1, as a foundational principle for us to have our minds wrapped around is this covenant of salvation. Now, let's go back to chapter 1. Let me just read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. And now, now when you keep going with this, it says, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience in sprinkling of the blood of Christ. You says, who are chosen, who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. To be chosen then is to be sanctified by the work of the Spirit. And that would encompass what? Justification, (laughs) regeneration, conversion, redemption. All bound up in that. The sanctification, as we know, is being set apart. It's being set apart from sin. And and this is just referencing to what the Spirit is, this referencing of sort of a progressive type of sanctification. Refer to our ultimate sanctification. Now, what the point we want to look at is this sequence. You are chosen. You're chosen. That would be the, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, which is this sanctifying act. To a view, or with an effect to what? Obey Jesus Christ. What's Ephesians 2.10 say? For we are His workmanship. Okay. So in other words, we're saved... In order to be obedient, it's an interesting phrase what we have here with this sprinkling of his blood. One of the things that intrigues, is always of interest and intrigues me, is that when Peter, Peter is writing, he keeps pulling these Old Testament uh, passages and, and references. In this case, this sprinkling of the blood, he goes back uh, actually to Exodus chapter 24, this picture that we have here. So I thought we'd just take for a second because I want to focus on this, this covenant of salvation. What is that actually referencing it to? It is actually this, if you go back with me to chapter 24 of Exodus, and it's this picture that we have of Moses. People of Israel, they had made a covenant with the Lord. And so Moses comes to them with the word of the Lord, and he recounts it to the people in verse 3. Someone could read there 3 down to 6. Okay, and, and even in, we see in that next verse, as Moses took, uh, says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the hearing of, of the people. And so what, within that, we see, obviously, that he took half this blood, he put it in the basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled in the altar. And actually, as we read, the hearing, it was all done. He says, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient and so Moses took the blood, he literally splattered it on the people. He said, Behold, the blood of the covenant. And so, this is the covenant that these people are making before God to be obedient and to signify this covenant. That's what it was done, very symbolically there. And so, what we have literally is this, this symbol for their devotion to keep this covenant. And it's almost like saying, like, uh, if I'm faithful to this, then may I shed my own blood type of thing. Now, the covenants, as we know, were very important to the people of the Old Testament. Actually, you go back even to Genesis where they were with Abraham. Remember Genesis 15 with the splitting? That was interesting. And the walking between uh, things. But it was still all of this very symbolic uh, aspect of the covenant itself. So now, what does this have to do with us? (laughs) Okay? When you go back to 1 Peter... Peter, he's like using this language in a very interesting way because he's talking about here is that there's this covenant to obey Jesus Christ, this sprinkling of the blood. Now, the sprinkling of the blood itself is that we know, obviously, that it results... In other words, when you came to faith, what was the response 
to you? What did, like, what did you say to yourself, like almost? Any, any thoughts on that as it relates to uh, this covenant of salvation, this aspect of, of promise, and how did that tie into obedience in your life? I commit myself to obey you. Right, right. And this is this exactly that we see here. And so there is this, what we see in this covenant is this promise that we see of salvation. Again, if you look at that, just from the aspect of the sequencing of this, it's just all I wanted you to see as an observation. Because as Peter is doing it, it's this sequencing of it that always follows with this action in this truth. One is that we are saved. We're saved by grace. And here we... we in with the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is this aspect of this picture of this promise that we have in Christ and this call for obedience. So therefore, being obedient to the Lord. Third reminder is, going back to First Peter, it says in going to verse 14 to 17, Gird up your loins, be sober, rush of hope fully in, brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts. Do not be conformed to former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. Now here's the focus. In verse 15, what follows that is the focus is, is this call to be holy. It's called to be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so, therefore, when we look at this, is that there's this recognition is that not to be conformed to formal lust. And if you keep reading on, the significance of this, be holy for I am holy. For, and it says in verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, in reverence. Okay. When there is this... There's sin in our lives. How does that affect relationships? Absolutely. Right. And I want you to see here is that in verse 17 it says, and if you call on the Father, okay, but that what precedes this is that Peter is saying, do not be conformed yourselves to former lusts. So therefore, the part of the recognition of this is that recognition that when there is sin, there's a violation of the relationship. And so if you can address, if you, if you address as Father, and here in this situation is that as believers, we have a relationship to God. And sin is a violation of that relationship. It's all sin is a violation of that relationship. And I, I wanted to draw the conclusions of this call to being obedient and don't, don't go back to conform to former lust because it will affect your relationship and, and to be able to call Him Father. Verse 17. Lastly, again, not lastly, meaning this, just some key things to remember. And it goes back to what some of you were saying, and that takes us back to verses 6 and 7. This last key principle helps us, and that is, is to embrace the effects of adversity. Embrace the positive effects of adversity. In this you can greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, that is perishable even though tested by fire and be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verses 6 and 7, it's interesting that it tells us 
that we are not to just rejoice. It's a little stronger than that, isn't it? It says to greatly, to greatly rejoice, though you've been distressed for a little while by various trials. So that, as I shared earlier, that the proof of your faith be more precious. The greatness of uh, the greatness of our faith is that it endures through the trial and it proves it. It, 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 it the face it stands the test. It just stands the test of those trials. It never collapses, and it doesn't fail. And it's the proof of their faith. And there is that is no greater uh, evidence or cure that you need for doubt. It's that that faith is real. And many times, the more trials that you go through, the stronger your faith becomes. You accumulate these trials, and the stronger our faith becomes. So, just. It was a, a, a way to go back to looking at chapter 1. And what you, what you identified in chapter 1 as being celebratory truths, or even applications within chapter 1, these are all things that we help us foundationally as you go back to this call that Peter has for these believers to get ready. Gird your minds for action itself. And with these key foundational is that we remember that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That we have the covenant promise of salvation. The fulfillment of that. In that both itself within the, the, the foundational truth of that in it alone, but also as a symbolic reminder of the outflow of that in obedience to Christ. And to recognize that as a personal examination that there is sin in my life, it's going to affect the relationships. Because he is going to conclude chapter 1 all about relationships and that is called to loving one another. And it's interesting to me is, is that the tough thing about chapter 2 is it starts off with a laundry list of sin. And so why? Why is that there? It's for this very purpose. It affects relationships. And as it relates within the context of that, it affects your relationship to the Word of God. And lastly, to embrace for that previous graphic there that showed to embrace these positive effects of adversity. Now, over the, the weeks that we have gone through this is that we've taken the and mapped out some of the passages in taking them in sections in 3 to 9, focusing on the greatness of salvation, where it was prompted by God's great mercy, accomplished through His birth, protected by power, evidenced by faith, and, and just seeing all the connectivity that we have, and this key where salvation just kept coming in this, is this constant reminder of that. In verses 10 and 12, the greatness of our salvation from the perspective of these Old Testament prophets, the Holy Spirit, the preachers, the New Testament apostles, and, and even angels themselves. And then in 13 to 21, our response was to fixing our hope. These were these applications, being holy, honoring with those words that we, we used initially, and the recognition of the redemption that we have in, in Christ in verses 18 and 19. To where uh, we're going to start the transition here. So this is, if, these are the verses that I've, we're going to start. Uh, this is where we left off. But I have to go back to transition with where Mark left off back in June. Because he touched on verses 22 to 25 that focused on this call to love one another. And for the purpose of, of why these should be looked at together, is that what I want you to see is, is that what the commonality that you see between these is the Word of God. 
It starts off in verse 22 that since you have been obe- have in obedience to the truth, which is the word, sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, sorry, it's okay. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And we're going to talk about the seed as, as a reference to the word itself. That is, to the living and enduring word of God. He quotes... Peter, he quotes Isaiah 40. I want to go back there. Okay? Again, Old Testament reference, but why? The significance of that, I believe, is in the closing words of his chapter 1, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. He references this preaching back in verses 10 and 12. Okay? And then, where I'm going to pick up next week, which is this, therefore. The therefore, you've got to go back three months, or two months, back to where Mark left off. Because the therefore is a continuation. In other words, it combines both of these two verses. The challenging part of it is that it, it, it's like split for us. And so therefore, you're, you may have a conclusion that they're separate thoughts, but they're not. They, they're a flow. And the key thing is, is that it's tied to the Word of God. Because what this is going to focus on here is a list of those where he exhorts those believers to put aside for what purpose? And that is the milk, the Word of God, that we may grow. So, what's interesting is, is that we're going to merge these two things. If I can just go back uh, and be patient with me on this. But there's never, Mark, you would know, you just can't, do it all. Uh, you know, so it's helpful because as you go back and I look at what Mark covered on that, and it's helpful, and then you start to see, well, what you have to cover, you just can bridge. Okay, That's what is really neat. So the central theme that's uniting these verses, now the verses are where Mark left off in, in, in 22 to 25 to verses 1, 2, and 3, it's the Word of God. This is what bridges them. This is what unites these verses is the Word of God. It's really awesome. So these chapter divisions, sometimes they, uh, they help us and also they hurt us to not necessarily see the whole, if that makes sense. And so what I like about the chance to study it and go back through it is that we can certainly see it as the whole. And so we have these uh, as the Word of God. Now the Word is referred to, as I saw in that previous one, uh, you saw that as it's referred to as the truth. It's referred to as the seed by which you were born again in verse 23. In verse 23, it's also the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, we see it as the word of the Lord. 25, it's the word which is preached to you. Verse Chapter 2, verse 2, it's the pure milk of the word. Now, with that, these passages itself, there are two primary commands that we see within that... that merge these two verses. The first one that was really the focus of what we looked at before, which was this fervently love one another from the heart in verse. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. The incorruptible seed is the word. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, the emphasis of the word in verses 22 to 25 is this seed. And it's this focus on 
the fact is by which we have been born again. Now, what that appeals to is that it's this appealing to this eternal nature of the Word of God we see within these first few verses. That is why we see him quoting Isaiah 40. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit um, a little bit later. As opposed to, in verses 22, or in to complement, is that we saw he addresses the relationships of the Word of God to this loving one another in the verses 22 to 25. In verses 1 to 3, he now appeals to this, the, how do you say it? It's the, the nurturing aspects of the Word of God. In other words, that results in the growth of believers. That in itself, the outflow of that is loving one another. <laughs> that, that's really what this flow, that sequencing of it. So again, as we grow in the Word of God, the results of the growth promote greater, more significant, deep love toward one another. And so the emphasis of the Word in verses 1 to 3, this milk. So we have the seed, and then we have the milk. So as we begin this uh, study next week, even of looking more in-depth into this aspect of the Word itself, we're going to look at contrasting verses that we see within Scripture to say, well, what is Peter talking about here? Talking about immature believers, yes or no? Well, we're going to see that he is focusing on Essentially, the emphasis of the word itself, and that is, is that it promotes growth. Now, from here, he commands these saints to love one another in verses 22 to 25. Now, by way, in verse 22, Peter commands the saints to love one another, and this love is described as fervent and proceeding from the heart. Again, fervently love one another from the heart. And the basis for such love is obedience to the truth by which the saints have purified the souls, resulting in a sincere love of the brethren. Now, what does the word fervent mean to you? Feedback, thoughts, what what does that mean to you? The word fervent. Active, passionate, steam to water. Okay? Others. Okay, I want to play on that, Mark, because I... The significance of this word of fervent is that it, it meets all of what you said in here. But there is, a, there is an aspect of persevering or con- constantly, or the, as, you said, as you said, the wearing out, that's rec- is recognized. It's, when we look at, like, for example, where uh, it was the passage that Kyle um, in Acts 12 had talked about that they were praying. It said that they were praying what? Fervently. And part of that is without ceasing. It's a, con- it's a constant. And so I want to focus on that word because I believe is that he, as he looks at the, the references of Isaiah 40, without question, are, is a verse of hope for Israel of, of the future that uses this word of the cons- constantly, and then it says, how does it end? That the word lasts for what? Forever. It is the enduring aspect of the word. It is the fervency. And so therefore, this love is described as fervent, is that it's forever. Okay? And as well as, is it, it, it's developing. And so, takeaway is that if we are growing in the word, 
the relationships will become fervent for, towards each other. Okay? So we'll unpack that. Uh, we'll go now, on. by way of background, is that what the sincere love of the brethren is that, and kind of leading up to this Isaiah 40 passage a little bit, is that the sad reality of Israel was that the Israelites did not have a heart to obey. And some of the passages that I identified, at least in Isaiah starting with, would be in Deuteronomy 31, verses 15. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange, strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they shall be consumed. And many evils and troubles shall come upon them, so that they will, they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. The reality was is Israel did not have a heart. They were sure to disobey His law and obviously to endure the consequences that He had spelled out for them. The Lord gave Israel a heart to believe, though. Only the Lord, only the Lord gave the Israelites a heart to believe and obey about the promise coming, Deuteronomy 36. And one that I'd like to read is Ezekiel 36.26. Let's read that real quick. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It says, Moreover, uh, oh, wrong chapter, 36.26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so this Israel had this heart to believe was given to them by the Lord. This new heart is the result of, and that's the Ezekiel 36, it's the result of this covenant that we have in Christ. The result of the new covenant brought about by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Luke 22, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, you are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. On the basis of the new covenant and the cleansing which the blood of Christ has accomplished, it is only through that that we are able to really love one another. That's really, isn't that the argument of Galatians 5? That the new birth results in love for one another. This, I believe, is what Peter is calling in this letter. He's really calling for the same kind of change in this. <coughs> Having been chosen by the Father, separate by the Holy Spirit, set apart, cleansed by the blood of Christ... We're giving a living hope in chapter 1. We fix our hope on those blessings. And so the result should be of holiness and reverence, fear, in the time on our earth. This verses 14 to 21. So, our love should be lasting. 
Because the seed by which we were begotten is everlasting. Many of us are having grass seed that's going to die dying right now. You know, it's not lasting. This seed itself is not perishable. It's imperishable. See, some of the passages in there, My word shall not pass away. He, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. God is the one who has shown in our hearts. It's a persevering love. So, if I got that, it's just those passages seem to just reinforce this aspect of the everlasting aspect of that. Heaven and earth will pass away, my word shall not pass. Um, James 1.18, uh, just to read the, the verse to you. In the exercises of the he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge, the glory of God. The word is not perishable, it's imperishable. Now, in verses 24 and 25, Peter sort of sets out, show us his teaching in the roots of these Old Testament, Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. If you you could just take a second and go back there, because I want you to look at a, a couple of verses that surround that, Isaiah 40. Peter's going to link the Old Testament gospel with the New Testament. So as, we, as a New Testament writer, he refer- uses, because of the audience, he's using an Old Testament reference w- with that. And so as we go back to Isaiah uh, chapter 40, it, the passage in Isaiah 40 assures Israelites of, of their future hope. Um, they were being chastised for their sins, and yet uh, there would come a day on redemption, that they would fix their hope. And so while the prophecies of Isaiah may be seeming impossible to their day at the time, um, the readers were reminded of the glories of earthly uh, empires that would fade away. Because if you look at this passage again, I'm just going to read it. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out, And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, in this, you can see here this aspect for them. The hope was certain because his word is eternal. Now, Peter, in the previous verses, he was talking about the eternal aspects of the word, wasn't he? About the seed being what? Imperishable. That we, which we are born again. The eternal love, which does not fail in itself. So in verse 25, he makes the connection there with this Isaiah passage where, again, look at this. The word of the Lord, the mouth of the Lord, the breath of the Lord, the word of God. The word in the Old Testament context is the word of God, the Father, Yahweh, Jehovah. And the last line of verse 25 equates it to this statement. What does it say? Back to in First Peter. It says, the word of the Lord endures forever. New Gospel, the New Testament Gospel, was preached to Peter's readers. 
not news to us, for Peter was already, he's already said something about that in verse 10, what, didn't he? Verse 10, 11, 12, was referencing again these Old Testament prophets. So the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how this is merged together here? And the significance of that, for his readers, he could, they could relate and understand that. But from the aspect for us, um, just some, some support passages of, besides these references in Acts and Romans, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, Hebrews 2. 1 to 2 to 4, that talk about, again, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. The word of the Lord is the gospel. The word by which we were born again. That word which commenced their life in Christ, it's eternal, just as it said, His Word never fails. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, the Word never fails. So Peter links this New Testament Gospel with the Old Testament and highlights this. And these passages in Acts 2, 36, Romans 10, 9, John 8, He is one with God the Father, Jesus. So as sort of this um, tie-in, to where we will pick up next week. This, therefore, helps us to refer back to this living and enduring Word and reminds His readers to remember the saving power of God's Word as a basis for their commitment to Scripture as the only power in living faith. And I've listed some verses here as well as the fountain of spiritual life and power. These verses that just continue to emphasize eternal work and aspect of the Word. How that, and so as we pick up for next week, with these, with these focusings, this still on the Word of God, and that the love that it enables and inspires in verses 22 and, and through 25, will transition in this imagery from the Word, as the, from the everlasting seed, to this pure milk by which we grow. So some of the questions that we had even didn't touch on, we'll get to it as well as next week, as far as the aspect of needing to grow in the Word. So, great chapter. And uh, just a, a transition as we pick up this uh, next week, with, we'll dive right into um, the therefore. Well, we've left off here, Peter's therefore. And to focus again on how we transition with this saving power, their commitment to Scripture itself, as well as the significance of life and power from there. Any thoughts or comments from anyone? <laughs> you lost it back there. <laughs> Romans 6, verse 6. The words that we decide all after sin, locations around slayer, slayer. I think, yeah. But everything depends on the master. So I've just perceived this mind that we want to get in our ear. Better picture for me. Let's pray. Well, our thought of slavery in the modern age may not be the same thought of slavery in the I've read all of the Bible, and I think four things they had to do as a recourse, they did it really. Mark, you want to close in prayer? I would love to. Amen.